0: Good evening, everyone. I'm Allison Camerata. Welcome to CNN Tonight. The Supreme Court is on the cusp of making monumental decisions that could change life as we've known it for decades, starting with whether to restrict access to an abortion medication that's been used for two decades. Next to come, affirmative action and voting rights. All of this amidst new revelations today about Clarence Thomas. It was not just luxury trips that he accepted from a Republican mega donor. He also allegedly took cash in exchange for real estate. Our panel tells us if that's unethical or illegal or both. Plus we know how dangerous concussions can be for athletes and how they can lead to brain damage known as CTE. Well, now the family of the shooter in the Louisville bank massacre wants his brain examined for CTE after he reportedly had multiple concussions in high school. And a lot's changed since the olden days of father knows best. Many women now make as much money or more than their husbands. So why are women still doing the lion's share of housework? We'll get our panel's perspective on a new study. And stay tuned for our Friday night news quiz. See if you know more about what happened this week than our panelists. Let's start with the Supreme Court. We want to bring in our panel. We have former Watergate prosecutor Nick Ackerman. We have Jessica Washington from The Root. Jay Michelson, who clerked for Merrick Garland and was on the Supreme Court beat at the Daily Beast for many years. And former Senate candidate Joe Pinion. Guys, happy Friday. Great to have you all here. So, Jay, with your credentials, you're clerking for Merrick Garland, your Supreme Court beat Let's (laughs) (laughs) Let's. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> Jay just looked at the Watergate prosecutor. Right. Like, right. My are for the Supreme Court specifically. So, just tell us what. Can you read the tea leaves for us of what's happening right now with the Supreme Court?
1: Well, uh, you know, this is this Supreme Court has jumped the shark so many times. You know that there are no more sharks left to jump. But certainly, he- hearing the abortion medication. Uh, uh, appeal on an emergency basis makes sense. Uh, This is a very time-sensitive matter. It's going to go to the Supreme Court anyway, so they should, it's appropriate to take this case, Justice Alito, properly. Uh, Granted review, paused for a short period of time. That doesn't mean anything in terms of what they're going to do. Uh, But certainly when we look at the docket, this is what you get uh, when you have a, a court process that's Really been taken over by an extreme edge of, of one of the parties, the Republican Party, uh, and all of these, or certainly the abortion medication pill uh, case and the voting rights case, should be slam dunks. But anything goes,
0: mm. um, Joe. In terms of the conservative leaning of the court, is it a conservative position to do away with an FDA approved drug that's been around for two decades and is considered safer than aspirin?
2: Look, uh, oh, there's a lot to unpack there. I, I think that at the end of the day. The court's going to review this, uh, go through their process. I don't, again, just want to reiterate, I don't think we have conservative judges or liberal judges. I think we just have justices uh, that do their level best. Uh, certainly there are more conservative thinking in their ideology or liberal thinking in their ideology. I think overall, again, what we are witnessing is not, I think, a function of a radical right wing. I think it's a breakdown of our politics. I think that we have left too much up to the courts to the side. I think that we have politicians at the state level at the federal level, at the local level that have decided that they want to effectively uh, pass the buck, uh, leverage whatever influence they have uh, to blame the other side and not roll up their sleeves and do the due diligence on behalf
3: of the good people. Mm-hmm. Um, next, Well, let me just say this. There are five justices that were put on the Supreme Court for one purpose and one purpose only, and that was to overrule Roe v. Wade. That was their job they accomplished that job. Now they're in a bind. They've got this case involving this pill that is approved by the FDA. It's been around for 23 years. No one's ever raised anything about this before. The district court that basically uh, put this on, on hold is a guy who is totally anti-abortion has. I mean, I don't know if he's conservative liberal or whatever, but he's definitely anti-abortion. Then it goes up to the fifth circuit. And of course they take off the uh, order, the restraining order, but they still say you can't send it through the mail. I mean, how crazy can you get? You get all your medications through the mail. The only thing you don't get through a mail these days is a heart operation. I mean, you just get all your medications through the mail. And now it's up to the Supreme court where all of these, the five justices who overrule Roe v.ersus Wade, all of whom are anti-abortion, are now stuck in a dilemma. What do they do? Two of them have written opinions where they say the FDA's expertise is by far the best out there. So doesn't that, you that tell you that,
0: they'll, that they will keep this? I think so.
3: I think that's what's going to happen.
0: They're going to keep the, the FDA approval of this abortion. Medication. Right. If,
3: if just to just to show that they had at least some kind of basis. To overrule Roe versus Wade and to at least say that their conservative um, reasons for doing it, because there was no right for abortion in the Constitution, that's why they did it, but they're going to go along with the FDA.
0: If they didn't, Jessica, and they blocked access to this, I, I keep reading about how it has all sorts of implications for other medication, uh,
4: important medicines. Certainly. No, I mean, this could have a lot of damaging effects on other types of medication, that this other medical uses this is used for. I mean, like everyone here has said, you know, this is something that has been on the market for 23 years. It is incredibly safe. It is safer than Tylenol. This is a medication that does have other uses. But also, I mean, people need to be able to access this if they want to have self-medicated abortions. It's not 100% necessary, but it is helpful in that process. And one thing I do want to mention is, as we're talking about this in the media, I do want to be careful not to make it sound like we're, if the Supreme Court goes the other way, we're about to have abortion access completely illegal in the United States. I think sometimes when we talk about abortion access, we talk about kind of Roe v. Wade, we have a tendency to scare people into thinking that uh, abortion is completely illegal. I've heard that from multiple people on the ground that that was something that happened in the wake of um, the leaked draft opinion. And that can be really damaging. But, as but well. so your point is that if it were to go this way, and if they were to block access, there
0: would still be states where you
4: can get this medication. Not uh, so. It's kind of complicated. With where it's a little unclear exactly where we are um, legally with which states you would be able to access it because there's just so many different court cases going on right now. I think Jay might. <laughs> know. Yeah,
1: I want to like sort of warmly disagree, actually. I think this is really different from Dobbs, right? So arguably, from a sort of conservative jurisprudential point of view, one could argue that, uh, that Dobbs and overturning Roe v. Wade was allowing states to have different regimes and, and we could have different, different rules in different states. But this is taking a, a federally approved medication off the market completely. This is not allowing states to do their own thing. This is saying not and this is not again, this is not about the Constitution having or not having uh, a right to privacy within it. This is just judicial activism. And this is exactly what conservatives decried liberal judges and justices for doing for for decades. And now this is about to happen. I want to suggest, though, I think this is a huge self-own from the conservative wing of the Republican Party. Most Americans are not on board with this radical agenda. And I think that's also true on voting rights and also on some other issues, also on, on guns, that we're seeing... The results of a very concerted effort, you know, just exactly what Nick said, to put justices on the court, to overturn Roe versus Wade. And that is having consequences that are really going to have political ramifications uh, in the next.
0: Okay, very quickly, we have to talk about the news about Clarence Thomas. So as you'll remember, last week, we found out that he had been accepting for two decades these luxury trips from a Republican mega donor. He was going on a super yacht. He was going on a private plane. Some of these um, trips could cost half a million dollars if he had paid for them. Um, now, today, again, according to ProPublica, we find out that he sold three properties in Savannah, Georgia, to Harlan Crow, same mega donor, for $133,000, um, you know, accepted cash for it. And now Harlan Crow's, Crow pays the property tax on it, which is what um, Clarence Thomas had been paying. So why is he doing this? What's what is he thinking, Joe? Uh,
2: Look, I I think that we have to be very careful here about basically starting to cherry pick the personal dealings of Supreme Court justices. Uh, I think that at the end of the day, uh, the optics are terrible here. So we have to acknowledge that. Well, it's about disclosure.
0: I mean, you're right. He has personal dealings and that's why he didn't disclose it.
2: Well, look, I I think there are many people uh, who would say that the lack of disclosure is the troubling part of this. I'm going to give Clarence Thomas uh, the The benefit of the doubt, the same way I think that we should give all the people that we have entrusted to sit on the highest court in the land, the benefit of the doubt that somehow that his vote is not for sale to the tune of one hundred and thirty three thousand dollars minus the property taxes or that somehow, you know, a a nice drink
1: with an umbrella in it is going to be the difference between him
0: on a mega yacht. there's
1: no other justice that we know of. In history, that has this record of misconduct. Right?
0: I
2: mean, I, 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 first of all, you've already labeled it as misconduct, so I just think again, we haven't actually had the For conduct.
1: We don't know of any justice in history that has accepted
3: a total this. misconduct. I mean, it was against the law for starting Is it against the law has, or is it just unethical? It's, a, it's, it's not only unethical; it's against the law. It's against the law not to report this so, uh, as he should have. And not only did he sell this property for values that look like they're higher than market value, he has his mother living in one of the properties after the Buddy sold the other two pieces of property to develop those to make more money and to fix up the neighborhood for Clarence Thomas's wife and then on top my mother and then on top of it he's fixing up the house he's completely renovating the house put more money into it as far as we know she's not paying a dime in rent and this is somebody that is tied in with a lot of political donors trying to influence what the Supreme Court is doing I mean this is an absolute outrage and people should be outraged about it and he should do The same thing that Abe Fortas did back in the 60s, resigned from the U.S. Supreme Court. Mm. I mean, he's actually done things worse than Abe Fortas. All right, well. face closed. N- no, <laughs> lock him up. <laughs> no, no.
0: I, I have yeah, I to mean, go. But, but basically, I, I, there is I, well, I,
2: I, I think that there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. As I said, the optics are terrible with this. But I think at the end of the day, if we're just going to go tabula rosa, we need to have a clean house in D.C. Lack of ethics need to be put to the side. Great. But if you're going to start with Clarence Thomas, I want to know who you're moving to next.
1: Well, mm-hmm. one place where you and I might agree is that this is really shame on all of us for not having a code of conduct for the Supreme Court that we have for other courts, other federal courts. It is ridiculous that there are not clear rules... And, and that that govern the Supreme Court justices. And that is on all of us. That is on the fact that that the court hasn't set them. Congress hasn't asked them to force yeah. them to set them. And we're this is this a lawless court.
3: Yes. Well, I mean, so we do have a you have a rule of law that he violated. What's and and actual- this is common sense. I mean, where's this guy coming from? I mean, there, there's this there's common
2: sense about insider trading in D.C. That's a different okay, day but for we're a We're talking different about
4: day. Supreme Court justices. I mean, right. That's it, the it, part. Is, it, is- is- this is shouldn't we be holding them to a higher standard? I, I, I think that's I would the agree. Point. You're saying would, in the I would, I would agree. Everyone
2: that higher. sits on that court should be held to a higher standard. I would agree that everyone that takes an oath and raises their hand on behalf of a grateful nation should be held to a higher nation. I think the reason why you have so much pushback from Republicans like myself, who agree that the optics are terrible, is because people are selectively deciding when they want to be outraged by the lack of ethics that are exhibited every single day down
1: in that place called Washington D.C. I still, I can't select another. Supreme Court justice name them I mean, liberal, liberal, conservative, anywhere. Uh, I, I, the only I one is Abe justice, And he and his conduct was much close. less severe. Right. This is this is blows him out of the water. Right. So I, I just I, I can't accept that this is selected, selecting this, thing. There's no one else to select. This okay. is Abe right, Fortis,
3: a Democrat to the tenth right.
0: degree. Thank you all very much for that. Stick around, everybody. In the wake of the most recent mass shooting in this country, the gun that a 25-year-old man used to kill five of his colleagues at that Louisville bank is required in that state to be auctioned off for sale, to be used again. Who would want that gun and what does it say about our gun laws? We're going to take that up. The NRA kicking off its annual convention in Indianapolis today, just four days after that mass shooting at a Louisville bank that killed five people. Just three weeks after the mass shooting at a Nashville school that killed six people, including three children. Former Vice President Mike Pence spoke today and offered this suggestion for stopping mass shootings.
3: While the assailants in the most recent attacks were taken out by law enforcement on the scene, too many mass shooters languish in prison for years. Well, men and women, I don't have to tell you justice delayed is justice denied. I believe the time has come to institute a federal death penalty statute with accelerated appeal to ensure that those who engage in mass shootings face execution in months, not years.
0: Our panel is back and Patrick McEnroe joins us now. Patrick, I am i guess I'm confused by his um, suggestion. We're trying to stop. Mass shootings before they happen, right? Not a speedy execution for the shooter after they happen, right?
5: Uh, not, uh, this. This hardly means is a topic that we should be joking about. But aren't mo- most of these mass shooters dead before they get out of there? I mean, I mean some
0: are. Some-
5: I mean, this is just asinine to make this the point. Was that before? I guess that was before he got booed, and then after. He got booed as well. He's apparently got booed both at the but beginning and the end. But not for this. End. Not for this. I understand that, but it seems it it's it's so ludicrous to have to bring this up, this type of thing up in a in a situation where this is so serious and all these shootings continue to happen, and that and, and that I guess the NRA liked it. They cheered for it when he. And that's to like, sort of to my point earlier this week about these mass shootings. The, the The people that have guns want guns more than anything else. And they're going to stop at nothing to make sure they can can continue to have whatever they want.
0: The other thing, Joe, that I found confusing about what Vice President Pence said was it's the Republicans who say this is about mental health. This isn't about guns. It's about the people. And it's about mental health. And we need to fix that. So he's suggesting a speedy execution for mentally the mentally ill mass shooters.
2: Well, look, I I, I think. Respectfully, you're giving the vice president a little bit too much credit. I think that it was an applause line that was inserted to make sure that there would be something for people to talk about in between the booing. Uh, respectfully, again, we were talking about what happens with gun owners in general. Look, if you're of the opinion that we should get rid of the guns, get rid of the AR-15s, and that as a solution, then there is nothing anyone could have said on this stage except for that. There's nothing anyone who believes in the Second Amendment can do other than showing up at their local precinct and surrendering the guns. But I think if we're going to have an honest conversation about what is required to end gun violence, what is required to end children being shot in math class, mm-hmm. it was a missed opportunity for Republicans to put forth a robust plan about what are the best practices that exist to ensure that we don't have the children of heads in state being killed, that we don't have the children of dignitaries being killed. Because again, I will remind people, the children of power, the children of privilege are not finding themselves gunned down on a regular basis well, like the rest I of the Well, I mean,
0: children. I guess we used to be able to say that, but, you know... In the latest ones in Nashville and in I, I, I mean, the Friends, I, I, of I mean, the I, I'm, I'm
2: talking about people who are pe- living at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue I'm talking about the okay. people who are the children of dignitaries okay, I'm talking about Joe, the people but I'm who- saying
0: that suddenly it's touching so many different walks of life that the governor's lost cl- both people close to them in the latest mass shooting. I, I, so I think that leaders that are having talking about what are the best violence.
2: practices for gun violence is very different from
1: eschewing or trying to push aside the very
2: real reality that gun violence is touching us all
0: yeah sure. For- but yeah,
1: is such a- I, I mean, I also would like to keep the focus on the NRA's bizarre fetishization of of an extremist position that's way far to the right of what the Supreme Court said in DC versus Heller, where they expressly said when they when they did find a Second Amendment uh, right for individual uh, carry possession of guns, which I think also was not founded in, in constitutional law, but they did find that. They said specifically that automatic and semiotic weapons could be regulated almost certainly uh, within the within the bounds of the Second Amendment. Now the term Second Amendment seems to cover everything, and that's not what the Supreme Court has held. There is a lot of space. There's a lot of daylight with in the Supreme Court's precedent. We just talked about the Supreme Court in the last segment. No. This is not a liberal court. These aren't liberal precedents uh, to take some of the most dangerous guns out of the hands of the most dangerous people.
0: Here's another interesting thing that has happened. In Kentucky, it turns out that there is this law that requires gu- guns using crimes to be auctioned off. So not melted down, not destroyed, auctioned off. There's a word for this called murderabilia. People buy um, tokens of high-profile crimes. We saw this in the um, Murda murder uh, in South Carolina. People wanted a piece of that. And so the mayor in Louisville is trying to get this law changed. There are eight states that ban sales of murderabilia, um, but not Kentucky. I mean, not most states right there. So that seems like something that the mayor would like to change, but there's a law preventing him from changing that.
4: Yeah. I mean, I think it's horrifying, the idea that you would have these guns that were used in mass shootings and that people would then go and buy them. I mean, it just feels so icky. But I'm not surprised that there are people out there who would do that because we've seen this before. I mean, I think about the Trayvon Martin, the gun used to kill Trayvon Martin. That sold for a quarter million dollars. Someone knew that that gun was used to shoot you know, this young man, this child, and they they went ahead and they bought that. So I do think. I mean, this is horrifying. It feels so icky, and yet what's terrifying is that there are people out there who would buy it.
5: How could it? How could that possibly happen? I mean, I mean we, you know, people like to watch crime shows and they like to watch stories about killers and so on because you know it makes for an in- interesting story. But the the idea that we're allowing, meaning we like our government actually allowing this to happen, that's insane. Used to be we talk about the guns all the time. Common sense gun laws, right? How about common sense?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's what the... Go ahead, Joe.
2: Look, I, I'm a, I'm really a cheery guy. I don't want to be the contrarian all... <laughs> it's Friday night. It's, Friday,
5: night. it's yeah.
2: Friday. It's 90 degrees outside. But uh, let's be very clear, right? I, I would agree with you, right, that we have uh, this unintended consequence here where we have what I would call the equivalent of the postcards at the lynchings uh, that have now been proliferated here in modern day society. But the reality is, if you look at that map, places like New York, places like Illinois, they don't have have these laws on the book that prevent this murderabilia from being sold because the average person, your average lawmaker, never thought that you would even need to put a law like it. that right. yeah. on the book. So I just think at some point, maybe it's not here to vilify the individuals who like guns. Maybe it's just here to say there is a sickness in society that we need new laws to address as it relates to these people who want to have some attachments to the sick and grotesque. And that is something that we should all be able to get around and agree on not trying to pit ourselves against one another once again when it's really unnecessary.
0: That did sound very cheery, Joe. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for that. We'll end on that note. Everyone stay with me.
6: The, zero two builds on our proven...
0: the NFL announcing new quarterback-specific helmets to combat the league's concussion problem. It apparently improves them by 7%. My panel is back. Um, Okay, so let's talk about um, concussions in the NFL and this helmet is first quarterback specifically because it is a helmet that works best on when the impact is with the ground instead of another player's helmet. So that's why it works for a quarterback. Um, But let me just quickly read because I didn't know about. So CTE is the brain injury that happens, but I didn't know all of the characteristics of it. So let me just read it for you in case you don't. So it starts after repeated hits to the head. It's believed it leads to a degeneration of brain tissue. And buildup of tau, tau. This is that's a brain protein. The symptoms of CTE can be memory loss, confusion, impulse control problems, aggression, depression, impaired judgment, suicidality. As the professional athlete at the table, your <laughs> a slightly
5: different sport, okay. uh, tennis, which is maybe mentally can be a little difficult. But no, in all seriousness, I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of football. I love the I love watching football. Uh, if I had sons, uh, which I don't I have, three daughters. But if I had, no, well, they could play football too. But I don't gone. want to. Um, I would, I would veer them away from playing football. not uh, what you know now. In fact, my parents, when my older brother, who you know ended up being number one in the world as a tennis player, he was a great athlete in every sport, and he was a quarterback. And my, when he was eleven or twelve, my parents and hmm, they knew he was could be a great tennis player. And they they put him into soccer. So we we played a lot of soccer growing up. Now, again, because this, they were afraid it, of
0: him being injured.
5: Injured. Absolutely. So this. But again, for the people that play it, of which I know many people, I know a lot of pros I know a lot of college guys that play organized high level football. Most of them are OK. Most of them are OK. This is, and and that they're doing this helmet specifically for, they've, they've done enough to protect the quarterback already in the NFL. That's one of the other things that the purists are upset about in the game. They've made it too protective of the quarterback. So it's a violent game and, Not surprisingly, it's by far the most popular game in this country. Hmm, I wonder why they're connected. And Joe, you used to play football. I did,
2: you know, uh, lots of uh, Pop Warner and high school football and college football. But look, I I think uh, there's a lot of... uh, merit in that argument. I think if I were having children today, oh, my mother's probably saying, hurry up, Um, (laughs) that that I would probably not want my five and six and seven and eight-year-olds running around like bobbleheads uh, running into each other. What about high schooler? Uh, Look, I, I think that I love the game. I think there are a lot of people who love the game. I think that there are a lot of precautions that we need to be taking and better protocols for how do we manage those injuries. I think it is inevitable that if you play the game of football at a high level, you're going to have some type of brain injury. Uh, that's just, I think, the inevitable reality of where we are. What is the extent of that brain injury? That comes down to the science that surrounds that. But I think ult- ultimately, at the end of the day, uh, this notion that we're going to ban the game of football, I think, isn't realistic. But we should have, I mean, 7% increase on not having concussions. I would take those ads. And yeah. I think that's a step in the right direction.
0: One of the reasons that we're thinking, uh, at least I'm thinking a lot about CTE this week, is because... The parents, the family of the shooter in the Louisville Bank mass shooting wants his brain examined for CTE because he apparently, according to them, had three significant, as they call it, concussions in his, I guess, high school days. He was actually, believe it or not, called in high school, Mr. Concussion by his classmates. And he wore a soft helmet when he had to, when he played basketball in high school because people knew that he had had so many concussions. And so they're wondering if there's. A, I mean, now that we know that one of the symptoms is aggression, depression, suicidality, they're wondering about the connection.
7: Yeah,
4: no, that, that's understandable that they would be concerned about that connection. I mean, we certainly have seen this with professional athletes. I think it's been talked about a lot more. But the idea that it could be even people at this younger level, even in high school, I think that's particularly concerning. And you know, I've. Decide that I'm not going to come out against football tonight. But, I mean, we do have to look at this. I mean, if people are coming out with these traumatic brain injuries, if they're changing their personalities, if potentially people are, you know, being aggressive afterwards, even to that level of this kind of shooting. And, I mean, obviously, there would have to be more underlying that, most likely. But it is pretty terrifying, and it does kind of make you think about the sport. Yes.
1: Yeah, you know, I think there have been violent sports as long as there's been human civilization. And this is part of uh, what it is to be human for some percentage of human beings. Um, I'm probably not in that percentage uh, as, the, as the gay kid who definitely didn't play football in, in <laughs> high school. But uh, I think this is part of, of human nature. And for me, that, that requires us to think about what society we can try to build. That makes sure, for example, that there aren't power differentials in who gets to play and who doesn't get to play and who gets access to the equipment and who doesn't get access. Uh, we make sure that there's not, that that doesn't track lines of oppression that are already in our society. Uh, that we do everything that we can to enable people to have the information so that they can make a choice, they can make a decision. Uh, you know, I'm pretty privileged myself, and I feel like I have a lot of access to the information to make a decision as a parent, uh, and a lot of folks don't have that. So for me, it's more about recognizing this reality that this is something that that many human beings really enjoy, and how do we create a just society around that?
0: Thank you all very much. All right, new research shows that nearly a third of women now make as much or more than their husbands, but the division of labor at home is far from equal. Why? We discuss that next.
8: And holding down a job Is a lot more
9: difficult Than lying around the house All day long
10: Why? Is that all you think we do?
11: Yeah
9: Well, now, let's be fair, Rick Every once in a while They get up and play canasta
12: <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think does the housework? And who do you think Cooks all the meals? Yeah
8: Oh, anybody can cook And do the housework
12: ha! I'd just like to see you two Try it for a week
0: And hilarity ensued, I can tell you, after that. So we've come a long way since a woman in the workplace was a joke. A new Pew research study finds that in roughly a third of opposite-sex marriages, husbands and wives make roughly the same amount of money. That's up from 11% in 1972. Despite the shared financial contributions, women still take on more of the household work. My panel is back with me now. What's up with that, Patrick? Uh,
5: How am I going to stay out of trouble on this one? Um, first of all, never a bad idea to show some I love Lucy clips. I know, clips. it's so um, good. 25 years, I'll be married later this year, Congratulations. so thank you. I have twins like you, mm-hmm. uh, all girls. Uh, my wife likes to say to me, she's a very busy working singer, actress, writer, so she's running around, I'm running around. She likes to say when we're trying to get things straight, who's making dinner, who's getting it. My wife says to me, we need a wife. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good luck. We, we need a wife. It's true. It's, but, uh. Look, I get up every morning, make my girls breakfast. Uh we we try to there's probably a few more things that she does that I don't do. There's probably a couple more things that I try to do. But it's it's about time, is what I say. It's yeah. about time.
0: I mean things have changed, yes. but as we've said. Things, things are not, changed, but changed. some
5: things yeah. are still yeah. Ingrained in certain people, I'd say.
0: Jessica, you're cohabitating,
4: Mm -hmm. living in sin. And
0: so... (laughs) And so, how is it divvied up? How are the chores divvied up?
4: Yeah, I think we do it pretty evenly. I mean, he's... I mean, I'm very busy, but he's even busier than me. But, I mean, we do it evenly. I do the most of the cooking. He cleans up after that. He does most of the laundry. We share deep cleaning on the weekend. I mean, the thing is just doing things when you have time. So because he's slightly busier, he's going to do laundry because that's something you can do and then do your work and kind of, you know, go about your business. But this
0: reminds me, I think that your generation is doing it differently. I mean, obviously, in each generation, uh, like, does that, that I love Lucy thing, obviously, it seems totally foreign, I'm sure to you. But each generation has made some progress and I think yours is obviously the furthest along.
4: Yeah, I mean, I hope so. I think that that's definitely true. I mean, I mean, definitely. seen my own parents had a very equal marriage both of them worked my boyfriend's parents the same thing you know his dad is actually the main cook in the household but I mean I do think we're getting kind of even closer to equality you know it can still be hard to get out of that mindset of oh I have to make sure the home is clean and that's my responsibility but I know that I have an equal partner and so that it just makes it so much easier thoughts
1: well I'm just a spectator to this like opposite sex marriage scenario so you guys all figure (laughs) out (laughs) <laughs> Maybe, you know, I'll get the memo, you know. Whenever so
0: everything is completely even in your household.
1: I mean, it, it's really varied. You know, my daughter's five years old, so obviously before it was pretty like straight down the line, and now uh, my husband does more of uh, more of the the unpaid housework. And you know, we can certainly talk about sort of the injustices around that and what work our society values and what work it doesn't. I remember when um, my mother, who was a feminist, you know, back in the 1970s and 80s, uh, people would say, "Oh, you don't work." She's like, "Don't tell me I don't work." You know, I'm raising this child, I'm do- I'm doing this house, and that that is work of value. And uh, so, yeah, it's strange to me. I feel sort of sad for folks who don't at least do some of everything and taste some of what it's like. And, you know, I don't know if I really would have said that when my daughter was still in diapers, but (laughs) looking back on it, I'm really glad that I had that experience to to be, you know, to be that part of a part of her life.
11: Joe?
2: Look, I I think The more things change, the more things stay the same. I think that we have long undervalued the work of the second shift, them tending to the home, the raising of the children. And I think, to your point, things are changing. Uh, The nature of work is evolving. And I think that this next generation is finding out that next, uh, I guess, uh, common equilibrium, whatever that's going to be. But I think also don't throw out, uh, you know, the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. There's a lot of good things that happened before we can celebrate the progress that has been made to make sure that we get close to women being paid uh, equal work, equal pay for equal work. But we can also ensure Uh, that we can understand the value of the time and the effort that is spent in the home, making sure we leave the world with good children.
0: Yes, excellent. Thank you all very much for that. This Sunday night, CNN launches an exciting new series called The Whole Story with Anderson Cooper. Each week, we'll explore one major story in depth for the entire hour. In Sunday's first episode, CNN's Nick Payton Walsh and his team trek alongside thousands of migrants as they make the dangerous journey on foot from the tip of South America into Central America, desperate to seek asylum in the United States. Nick joins us with a preview. Nick. Nick.
13: Alison, it's really the volume of people doing this that is so staggering. There was a record year last year of a quarter of a million, but in only the first quarter of this year, there's seven times as many who tried it the year before. So they're on track at the same rate to get over a million people making this trek this year, and so many of them are children, already record-breaking numbers this year. Here's part of what we saw. The football shirts are porters, each numbered. Charging to carry bags, even children, uphill. But it doesn't always work out. Wilson is separated from his parents. Their porter raced off ahead. Nick. votre Ils sont
4: où Ils sont
13: derrière. derrière, oui. Vous allez à l'Amérique oui. Vous allez où
12: oui.
3: À Miami.
13: À Miami. Qu'est-ce que vous aimez à Miami
4: Papa va faire une piscine.
13: faire une piscine Pour vous Oh, uh, qu'est-ce que vous voulez être quand vous serez très grand? Cale, uh, quel travail.
4: travail? Oui. Et, et ma a
8: любимé,
3: et <IMoten República> Nearly a
13: thousand unaccompanied children were found on the route last year, the UN have said. Now. That little boy, Wilson, was reunited joyfully with his parents a couple of days later, something we thought, frankly, was impossible, given how disparate people can be on a trek as hazardous as this. But they face extraordinary perils, not only those of the jungle, the dehydration, exhaustion, lack of food they carry themselves, the snakes, also man-made murders occur on this trek. We found three bodies with signs of a violent death, allegations of sexual assault, robbery as well. It's exceptionally perilous, and so you have to ask yourself, Alison, what really causes people to put their families, themselves even, through risks like this? And it's the countries that they hail from that they're fleeing. Haiti, Venezuela, Ecuador, China, the top four nationalities uh, so far this year seen on the trek, countries in collapse. That fuels people to undertake these extraordinary risks. But you see something kind of beautiful, too, on this trek. Yes, it's a cynical operation, a voluntary trafficking operation run by a cartel milking people for their cash as they move, but when they meet strangers in peril, they seem to be bound by some sort of glue of the ordeal that they're going through, and they help each other, often just carrying sick children for days to be sure that nobody's left behind. That's something quite wonderful to watch despite how depressing the motivation why people are making this trek and the scenes that they're enduring uh, through that particular journey are. There's something incredible about watching them pull each other through. Alison?
0: Nick, what an incredible window you're giving us into that journey. Thank you. Be sure to watch Nick embark on that journey for the very first episode of The Whole Story with Anderson Cooper. It's Sunday night at eight only on CNN. All right, Texas Governor Greg Abbott is pushing to pardon a man convicted of killing a Black Lives Matter protester. But now, newly revealed racist and violent social media posts by the killer could change the thinking. In just a moment, we're going to hear from the murder victim's fiance and mother. Newly unsealed court documents in Texas raise questions about the influence of right-wing media on our criminal justice system. Governor Greg Abbott announced plans to pardon a convicted murderer just one day after the conviction. The documents just released show that convicted murderer Daniel Perry compared the Black Lives Matter movement to a zoo full of monkeys and talked about his desire to kill someone. And that's exactly what a jury found him guilty of in the murder of 28-year-old Garrett Foster at a Black Lives Matter protest in 2020. You'll hear from Garrett Foster's mother and longtime partner in just a moment. And we'll dig into what could be motivating Governor Greg Abbott to take on this case. But let's begin with CNN's Ed Lavendera on the shooter's vile messages, which were not shown to the jury.
6: When Black Lives Matter protests erupted around the country in the summer of 2020, newly released court documents revealed Daniel Perry intensely watched the chaos, quickly becoming angry. In a social media post, he described the protesters as a zoo full of monkeys. The unsealed documents include 76 pages of social media postings and text messages. Most of these details were not shown to the jury that convicted the army sergeant of murdering protester Garrett Foster and raises new questions about why Texas Governor Greg Abbott is rushing a push to pardon this convicted murderer. Foster's family and longtime partner have called the governor's call
7: for a pardon disgusting. This has been a complete nightmare.
6: The court documents show Perry talked about killing people and shared racist memes and comments on social media, including a 2019 message saying, Too bad we can't get paid for hunting Muslims in Europe. And in a Facebook message in May 2020, just months before the deadly shooting, Perry wrote, He might have to kill a few people on my way to work. Another text said, I might go to Dallas to shoot looters. Perry's attorneys called the release of the documents a political move by prosecutors and said Foster also made posts advocating violence. In this 2020 post, Foster praised the burning of a Minneapolis police station. Perry's attorneys are calling for a new trial, saying they want to introduce evidence that Foster repeatedly instigated confrontations and was the quote, first aggressor. When the murder happened on July 25th, 2020, Perry, now a 35-year-old army sergeant, worked as a rideshare driver and had just dropped off a passenger near a BLM protest. Prosecutors say Perry drove into the protest and instigated a confrontation. Perry's attorneys say Foster, a 28-year-old Air Force veteran, motioned to Perry as protesters were beating on his car. I Gotta practice some of our rights. Foster was legally carrying an assault-style weapon that night. Perry had a handgun in his car and at some point in the exchange, he fired multiple times, killing Foster. During a police interrogation, Perry gave several versions of the position of Foster's gun. Perry also told police he did not try to kill Foster.
3: I honestly did not want, to, want him to die. All I wanted
6: to do was the A Texas jury rejected his claims of self-defense. We reached out to Texas Governor Greg Abbott's office to find out if he was still pushing for a pardon of Daniel Perry. Given this new information that has come to light, his office responded with a simple one-sentence statement which read, All pertinent information is for the Board of Pardons and Paroles to consider as this is part of the review process required by the Texas Constitution. And what he's referencing there is that the governor has to wait for the recommendation from that board before he can issue a pardon. But right now, there is no timeline on exactly when that will happen. In fact, we should all remember that this trial isn't even over yet. The sentencing hearing hasn't even been scheduled. Allison.
0: Ed, thank you. I'm joined now by Garrett Foster's longtime partner, Whitney Mitchell, and his mother, Sheila Foster. And Sheila is joined by her attorney, Quentin Brogdon. Uh, Ladies, thank you so much for being here. So, Sheila, let me start with you. When you found out that Governor Abbott wanted to pardon the man convicted of murdering your son, what was your reaction?
14: Disbelief, initially, and then nausea, and I've been sick for the past week. Yeah. I mean, Whitney, you both waited so long for
0: a conviction. You waited so long for a resolution to this. And then a day later to find out that the governor had plans to pardon this person. Do you understand his thinking, the governor's thinking?
7: No, I, I can't understand his thinking. Um, I, I don't understand how you can put um, all of us through through this. And I really don't think he has actually looked into this case and has seen everything with the evidence. And I, yeah, this is just, it's just horrible. And it's, it's really hard to describe this entire, I don't know, this entire, just going through all of this, honestly. <laughs>
0: We can imagine. Um, Sheila, now that all of these threatening social media posts have come out uh, that Daniel uh, Perry had written, uh, saying things like he might have to kill someone on his way to work and, quote, shoot looters, do you think
14: now that Governor Abbott will change his position? I don't know what he's seen up to this point, and I don't know if he's looking at the stuff that has been released. Um, I would... Uh, That would be my hope would be that he would see all of that and say, there's no way we're going to put this guy on the street. He's clearly dangerous.
0: Whitney, have you read some of these social media posts?
7: Yes, I have. Um, I've I've seen all of it. So, um, um, and I, I felt sick to my stomach and I still do. And there's not really any way to process any of that. It's just, it's, it's beyond disgusting. Um, Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, Whitney, you were next to Garrett um, when he was shot and killed. You witnessed it. Was there any question as to who the aggressor was?
7: I, it was Perry. Um, he drove into the crowd. He drove into the crowd and that, that's what happened. Um, and yeah, that, that's, that's what happened. Um, and yeah, I, I'm I'm sorry. It's just, um, all of this is hard to like, you know, to, it's just, I've been reliving, all of this. And it's just hard going over, over that night. Um, And it's just, I've had so many people like gaslighting me about something that I saw with my own eyes. And I watched, I watched Garrett die in front of me. And it's just absolutely insane that I, I have to argue and like, and, and humanize Garrett when, when I was there. So yeah yeah I'm so sorry that you have had to relive all of this.
0: you know it 's hard enough going through a trial, and now the fact that the outcome is now in question because of what Governor Abbott said the day after and it 's very unusual for the uh, you know a convicted murderer not even to be sentenced for a governor to announce a pardon even before a sentence that 's just that we can 't find in another case of of Governor Abbott doing that, but Whitney. As I understand it, you and Garrett were together since you were seventeen years old. And you and then and then when you got sick, you developed an infection, you lost your limbs, and he became your full time caregiver, in addition to being the love of your life. And so can you tell us about him?
7: Um like he was my best friend and um he was everything to me and when I when I got sick we had only been together for a year and we were like only 18 years old and he watched me go through so much during that time and he, he stayed through all of it um, he never left my side and nothing changed you know when we got together and then you know, and after this happened, like nothing changed between us. Like um, and I just I've always felt like a teenager with him until the time that he died. Um, like it, it's just been a huge hole in my life. And I have been trying to figure out how to like live without him and be OK with it, which I don't know. There's not a way for that there's not there's not any way to be okay with this um it just it this has just destroyed everything um and I, I struggle with it every day so um yeah i i just i miss him so much um yeah yeah he sounds
0: really really <laughs> remarkable and so whitney what do you yeah. want to say to governor abbott what do you want him to
7: know um, that I has to know this is that this is wrong, and after all the stuff that's come out, like, even you can't tell me that you look at all of that and think that it's okay to let him walk, um, because everything in there pretty much tells you who he is as a person, um, and I, yeah, I. I I can't understand why, you know, he would still be okay with doing this. And even, and he was found guilty, even when that, all of what we've like, all of that's been out, um, wasn't like the jury hadn't seen it yet. And so I feel like that speaks volumes, you know, um, when people hadn't seen everything that's out right now. So I just, I feel like everything is right there to tell you what kind of person he is. Yeah, you're saying um, that he was found um, guilty even without the jury
0: seeing these, you know, vile social media posts. And yes. Yeah. And, and so, um, Sheila. So what do you want to say to Governor Abbott tonight?
14: I just I would hope that he has the discernment and the wisdom to look over all of the trial evidence before he makes any decisions Um I can't can't believe you said it. This is, you've never heard of this happening. It's because it never has. This has never happened in the state of Texas where the governor goes to the pardon and parole board and says, I want you to release this guy. It's always the board coming to the governor. And this is the first time this has ever happened. And this is a guy who was found guilty by a jury who sat in court for two weeks and they deliberated for... 10 hours the first day, and I believe close to eight hours the second day. And they completely wasted their time if this is, if this is how we're going to do things now, right? <laughs> the judge, the jury, the prosecutors, even the defense attorneys, everybody, what was the point of the trial if the governor's going to come in and undo it all? It, it doesn't make any sense. I don't understand it.
0: Well, Sheila Foster, Whitney Mitchell, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for sharing the story. And we're going to stay on this story um, until whatever happens, happens, because uh, we, too, are following it closely and want some more explanations from the governor. So thank you both very much. We're thinking of you tonight. You're
14: welcome. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Have good
0: night. Joining me now. We have our friend, legal eagle, Joey Jackson here, and senior reporter for The Root, Jessica Washington. Defense attorney, Misty Maris, is here, and former Senate candidate, Joe Pinion. Um, Misty, he was convicted. Daniel Perry was convicted by a jury of his peers, 12 Texans, took their t- the time out of their lives, because this is our judicial system. And then the next day, um, before he's been sentenced that Governor Abbott announced his desire to pardon him. Have you seen something like that? How unusual is something like this?
11: It's completely unusual and I think unprecedented. This before the verdict sheet is even dry, the ink hasn't dried, no sentencing, no appellate process. And the governor is stepping in and essentially saying, I just don't agree with this jury verdict. It is a complete abomination. It is an abuse of power. And it's Him infusing himself improperly into the legal system. To the extent that he wants to refer this case into the pardon process, you have to let the legal process play out. The sentencing and all of the appeals that you would see go into place in any criminal trial. For him to come in at this point and just say, I don't like this verdict, so it's overturned. What a
0: dangerous precedent to set. Um, Joe, we don't know exactly what Governor Abbott's motivation is. He hasn't explained it. However, um, there was a loud drumbeat on Fox that this uh, that Daniel Perry should never have been convicted and that if he were to be convicted, he should be pardoned. So let me just play a moment of that for you.
2: If that's not a justified shooting, there's no such thing. So this
15: is a legal atrocity. It's- this officer acted in self-defense. I would shoot in this instance. I think he should be pardoned. I think he spent far too much time in jail already.
0: And then lo and behold, the governor said that he would like to pardon him.
15: Oh, look, I, I, I'm not
2: going to... Kind of dignify the assumption that Governor Abbott is ge- dealing out pardons because people at 9 p.m. on a different network told him to. I will say that whoever is suggesting that he should issue this pardon at this particular point in time when the ink is not dry, when the verdict has not been rendered, is giving him bad advice. Uh, it is a fool's errand. It is doing great damage to our justice system. Uh, I-, I will say here that, you know, this to me, Uh, Brings back memories of 2013, where a black man who also was an Air Force veteran by the name of Michael Giles uh, found himself sent to prison uh, for defending himself uh, with a firearm. And I think that the Republican Party does itself a great disservice when you have a person who is lawfully carrying an AK 47. When you look at the place of Michael Giles, who's still in a prison, by the way, 25 years sent to rot in a jail cell, a man who raised his hand, as this man did, to serve his country. Uh, We do a great disservice service when we don't say, yes, you have the right to defend yourself. Yes, you have the right to bear arms. And then suddenly when we don't like the cause for which you are bearing those arms, suddenly all of a sudden you're abandoned. As that poor mother said, it's as if the jury wasted their time because her son's life had no meaning in the eyes of this pardon board and this governor if they actually go forth and doing what they seem like they're intent on doing right now.
0: Um, Joy, do you think the fact that these social media posts that the jury did not see, that now they've come to light, do you think that will change the thinking in Texas?
8: I mean, I hope so. Uh, But when you look at that, this is a judge who was trying to be as fair as possible, right, in preserving and defending the defendant's rights, as opposed to allowing a jury to see this and be inflamed by it and perhaps convict predicated upon that and not the actual facts Said, you know what, I'm going to exclude that. Um, You know, on the other side, there are social media posts, certainly, that the victim, the decedent, had that, uh, you know, you might argue, should the jury have seen them? Perhaps— That is a decision for appellate review. There's an appeals process wherein an appellate court evaluates whether the judge made any judicial errors. And if the appellate process plays out and they make that determination, you get a new trial potentially. There are a series of state appeals, Allison, and then it goes to the federal level. I just don't see how we can have a system that's workable when it's predicated upon politics. Trials have to be about two things, the facts and the law. The facts and the law, not about whether you see someone waxing poetic who happens to be in your party, who happens to be on Fox News, who happens to string this out to be a political. Well, I'd acquit him. I'd do the same thing, et cetera, et cetera. The jury didn't. They sat there for eight days. They adjudicated after that for two days a verdict. They rendered that verdict of guilt. And this is a convicted felon. And so to circumvent that entire process because you don't believe in a verdict, Mr. Governor, you didn't sit through the trial. Mr. Governor, you were not in the deliberation room. Mr. Governor, you were not there for the 40 witnesses. And so to anybody who practices before the court, and I'm sure Misty will agree as a practitioner, an outstanding practitioner herself, this just is an affront to the judicial process, and it, it's sickening, quite frankly.
4: Jessica, I have 10 seconds to go. Yeah, just watching uh, his fiance talk about it, I think that really just drives home how disturbing this was that she had to sit through this trial, sit through hearing every, all of these details, you know, hoping for this verdict, and now it's done. Yeah, thank you all very much. Okay, another important trial. Dominion's
0: $1.6 billion defamation trial against Fox is set to start on Monday. We've learned some of the questions The prospective jurors were asked behind closed doors. We'll tell you what those were next. Dominion's $1.6 billion defamation trial against Fox is set to start on Monday. On Thursday, the court started the jury selection process. Roughly 300 potential jurors were summoned to the Delaware Superior Court. Those 300 will be winnowed down to 12 jurors and 12 alternates. And to do that, the prospective jurors were peppered with questions, including about their viewing habits. My panel is back with me now. So, Misty, one of the questions they were asked, the the, uh, lawyers got to ask the prospective jurors, do you regularly watch any Fox programs on television or any other social media? And if so, would this affect your ability to be fair and impartial? Or... Do you avoid any Fox programs on television (laughs) or social media? And would that affect your ability to be fair and impartial? That's a good question. But how will they weed out like a super fan, like a Fox super fan or somebody who loathes Fox? And
11: and that's really the problem with jury selection is that you can never be absolutely sure. So actually, Dominion had wanted more in-depth questions to dig into the consumption of Fox. And the judge said, no, we're going to limit it to this one question, which really just says, are you are you a big fan or do you hate it? Because they want unbiased people, and then try and figure out okay, can you put aside your opinions and be fair
0: in the course of the trial? So there's no perfect way to do it. Here are the questions, Joey, that were not allowed. Okay, these were excluded by the judge um, whether or not you believe the 2020 election was legitimate, and whether you had any connection to the January 6th insurrection. Those seem important.
8: They may be important, but of what relevance is that to whether or not the Fox personalities were spinning a web of falsehoods predicated upon an election? We're not talking about an insurrection. We're not talking about what your feelings are about an insurrection. We're talking about your ability to discern whether the personalities were giving information. Now, here's the standard, right? Actual malice is the standard. Knowledge of falsity, when you said it, you knew it was false, or reckless disregard as to the truth. That's what it's about. So why are you bringing this information to me? So the judge said we're going to keep the trial about what it's about, and we're going to limit the questions to what should be proper. Before.
0: Okay, but I kind of think if you don't believe that the 2020 election was fair, that
4: colors your opinion about whether Fox was feeding you misinformation, Jessica. <laughs> I would heavily agree. It kind of seems like then you're already getting this information. Whether or not you're directly watching Fox News and getting this information, this is something you clearly have belie- like are believing because it's coming from Fox or similar networks. So I do think that would color your opinion on this case. But I do think it's incredibly difficult to find people who don't have any opinion on this since it's all been so highly publicized. Jeff? Yeah.
2: Look, we have a highly uh, divisive uh, political environment right now. Society is deeply divided. That has bled over into our politics. And now, even going back to our last block, talking about can we find people to be fair, impartial, I think increasingly the answer has become no. And I think, again, we have more politics wading into the mess of this. But I trust, hopefully, the jurors in this case will see the facts and come to a justice
0: But is act. that true, Missy? And, jo- Joey, do you think that it's gotten harder and harder to find jurors? Or-
11: it, it's difficult because of the social media and all of that. Mm-hmm. So finding people that uh, don't, that aren't biased can be tough. But you still weed through the process the same. And interestingly enough, in this case, the falsity of the statements isn't even a question in a really un unprecedented decision pre-trial by the judge. The statements are false. It's just whether or not there's actual malice.
0: And we can see these jury questions are really tailored to that. Here's another question that I think is fascinating, Jerry. Uh, do you personally know or have any opinion at all about the following persons who may be identified? Mike Lindell, Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell.
8: Listen, uh, the bottom line is you want a fair and impartial jury. And if they have particular opinions about those individuals that may be negative or too positive, that makes them not fair, that makes them ineligible and that makes them not right for that jury.
0: Um, Okay. and what do you think is going to happen, Joy?
8: Uh, well, let me see. As I am a predictor of all things, but nothing. <laughs> You're a seer. You're a seer. You're a seer. I'm a seer into the future. Yeah. There's two parts very quickly. One part is liability, right? Is there liability? And that means is, did Fox do this with actual knowledge that it was false? And then after you get through that, you get to the question of how much money they have to pay. I think the jury finds, if it goes that far, that they acted with actual malice, knowledge of falsity, reckless disregard, and that they issue a damaging award.
11: I'm taking that as agreement. I agree. I- <laughs> I think based on the pretrial decisions, I think liability is going to be... They're going to get liability, but I think they're going to have a tough time on what the
0: damages actually are. You know what they're okay, going to Okay, hold that, hold that thought <laughs> for the commercial because Bill Maher and Overtime is next. And now let's turn it over to our friends at HBO. Every Friday after Real Time with Bill Maher, Bill and his guests answer viewer questions about topics in the national conversation. We're excited to bring you this lively discussion first every Friday night. So here is Overtime with Bill Maher.
10: Hi, CNN. It's me, Bill Maher, here with my panel from today's show. Actor, director, and author of the forthcoming book, Easy Money, Ben McKenzie is over here. Democratic congresswoman from California, Katie Porter. And host of Talk to these Piers Morgan Uncensored, Piers Morgan, and here are the... Uh, here are the questions from people wanting to know what we think here on the panel. What does the panel make of the two TN- oh, Tennessee lawmakers who were expelled from the state legislature? Oh, that was a big story this week. We didn't get to it. Yes, uh, they now they were protesting because there was a shooting there. They wanted, uh, you know, I think I agree with what they were saying is we need better gun control laws. But these are legislators and they used a bullhorn inside the well of the the Senate of Tennessee, was it? This is state
9: state legislature. Yeah. Um, and interrupted the proceedings, which, of course, when that happened on January the 6th, in a much larger and more violent way, oh. all the people currently cheering on the two Tennessee legislators were the ones who would have been condemning and castigating what happened well, on would, January the 6th. You're, well, You're not
12: actually comparing. No, no. Yeah, that's I'm a not, crazy thing. You, why you said, actually did just compare. No, no. Here's what I'm comparing.
9: When you have a mob... Of protesters, and they're going into a, a legislative chamber, whether it's at the Capitol or whether it's in Tennessee, the principle's the same. And if you don't have the same okay. principle response to both of those things, regardless of no, scale, we're... then you're not principled.
12: Now, listen, the principle is different. They were Tennessee legislature, legislators who went into the chamber and, and admittedly broke the rules of decorum, mm. partly because they were being silenced when they wanted to talk following the rules of decorum about gun violence prevention. What happened on January 6th was a bunch of batshit crazy <laughs> with guns who killed police people. Oh, is, that is not the same. But Katie, Katie, I, I, like Bill,
9: I agree with what the legislators who were doing the protesting, I agree with them about guns. Everyone knows, I think, in fact, that's why I left CNN. It's it nice right. to be back, by the way, on CNN. Um, I agree with them. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> It's, right. been a, it's been a while. Yeah. The last time I was on CNN, I was talking about guns. But thank you, Bill. This will probably get me fired all over again. Um, <laughs> but I, I just think, you, in the end, you've got to be consistent okay. about the way you view... But that is a terrible, but that is a terrible analogy. Well, they're not the same it's, it's thing, a, okay. but the principle is same. Then why bring the it up? It's a terrible analogy. You should, a mob of people <laughs> going in to stop a, democratic proceedings but is, that, but is, is not democracy principle? whether you're on the right or left. Okay. What the principle? What, what, what I the principle say, is I don't think a mob of protesters should yes, go in. Into a legislative okay. building
15: okay, like no, that, they and did. stopped
10: the proceedings. They, okay, they, sh- I agree mo- with-
9: they were a mob? The two guys were a mob?
10: No, no. all the other, oh, the other people. No, but yeah. here's the thing these guys are legislators. What I would say to them is look, I admire your passion. I'm a liar that young people your age are in government. I think that's good that you want to be in government and not just mm. oblivious to it. Um, and the issue, okay, oh, a valid point, but you're in the legislator now. The legislature. Yep. You don't need the bullhorn. That's for when you're out on the street. You have to modulate. This is, what, this is what they do on college campuses. We just stop you from talking if we disagree with a bullhorn or shouting. They have to leave that behind. Now you're inside. You're in the building. You got elected. Mm-hmm. The way to effect change is write a law. Do it that way. But they, the, the bullhorn was. Well, I
12: think you have a point. I... I think you have a point about they were in there, they had other opportunities, they can introduce a law. I also do want to say that rules of decorum are often used to silence people who do not have voices. And in this case, we're talking about two younger um, men, two black men, two people in the political minority in Tennessee. And so we've seen rules of decorum be used over and over and over again in this country as an excuse to exclude people and to silence people. So I think you're right, though, that... that, that I, I can't believe I'm saying this. Like, I so deeply, deeply agree with you about the January 6th and how wrong peers is to try to equivocate I didn't those equi- things. But I didn't know. So what you were doing was playing politics.
9: I, I talked purely about a principle of a mob of people going okay. in to stop right. democratic let's, proceedings. Let's, it let's shouldn't stop. be happening, whether it's on the left or the right. Let's stop digging.
15: <laughs> <laughs> I just love that they've been re-elected immediately and raised all this money and they're national heroes. Oops. <laughs> uh, didn't work. Uh,
10: what do you make of Prince Harry's plan to attend his father's coronation without... Margaret Megan Markle. God, why do we give a I don't damn? (laughs) I I didn't say it. I didn't say it. You don't see an invoice? I know. You swore on CNN, not me. Uh, how about that? Uh, what do you make of Prince Harry's... Well, I don't know why we care so much. Uh,
9: you you have... Look, you, you can care. You America have the... has sent... America... I hate to say this, but America has sent two women into our royal family. The first was Wallace Simpson, who yes. led to an abdication. Right. And the, second, and the second is Meghan Markle. You are two for two, and it's not looking great. So, frankly, keep your... Women here. (laughs) That's hysterical. So what happens? So Prince Harry's going and she's not? He's going and all his family basically want to kill him and she's staying here because they (laughs) feel the same way about her. I mean, look, from my point of view, they're just a pair of little uh, royal renegade grifters who want to have their royal cake and eat it. They want to keep the titles, make hundreds of millions, trashing their family again and again and again and again. And eventually the royal family's gone, you know what? Shut up.
10: Right. I I, I basically agree. I mean, I would I would defend Harry only insofar as that he went to Afghanistan. Yeah. You know, I mean, he could have got out of that, as certainly the people in this country do with that kind of standing, and he didn't. He went.
9: He did. he, He did honorable service for his country, and he was a beloved prince. To give you some idea how far he's fallen, he is now less popular than Prince Andrew.
10: Right. Exactly. But, but her thing about, you know, the, the royal family being racist, maybe they are. Certainly the history is... She
9: never produced a shred of evidence well, to
10: support that. They were cold to me. They're cold to everybody. They were cold to Diana. And who
9: was whiter than Diana? <laughs> They're just cold people.
10: That's who they are.
3: That's
9: the, that's... If you're going to call the royal family racist like she did on Oprah Winfrey, you've got to back it up with some evidence. Not a shred of evidence has either of them ever produced for any racism from the royal family. So put up or shut up and stop smearing our royal family Okay. my
10: opinion Ben this is for you how much do you think the failure to regulate crypto is due to lawmakers not understanding it well we just said we don't understand it. yeah exactly
15: <laughs> I mean yeah John Tester yeah, won't yeah, send yeah. that on Gary's <laughs> ad yeah, no one knows what can, the yeah, is sorry yeah. but the um, salt no sorry
9: sorry <laughs> we're on CNN
5: sorry <laughs> gee whiz
9: can everyone uh, stop swearing on CNN
5: stop right? telling you yeah
9: I'm going to get them rating <laughs> <laughs> I do think
15: I do think I think it's part that, they, that the that, that, uh, legislators didn't understand it, but I went there over the summer. I went to D.C. with with the journal uh, Jacob, who wrote, wrote the book with me, and we had meetings. Some of which I talk about in the book. Some of which I can't talk about. And <laughs> the general attitude was, "You're probably right, but I'm sorry, Sam Bankman-Fried has given us too much money." That's Sam right. Bankman-Fried gave yes, he the did. Democrats forty million dollars. Yeah. His lieutenant gave the Republicans twenty three. I believe the total is somewhere around ninety million dollars in this straw donor scheme that is alleged to have happened. They bought them up both off, and they bought them off not necessarily in the sense that they passed bad legislation, which they could have done. There was a bill called sam 's bill that was going you know through the ag committee potentially, but they kept them from doing anything that was actually would have stopped this Ponzi scheme from collapsing and ruining hmm. tens of thousands of people's lives. If not, I mean, millions of people now don't have access to their accounts at FTX.
10: You've been very tough on the pitchmen of oh,
15: cele- the celebrities. Are, the celebrities are not the core problem, of course. They're just the megaphone necessary to spread the Ponzi. But you think they shouldn't have done that? Well, of course they shouldn't have done it. I mean, they should. I mean, (laughs) you shouldn't sell unregistered unlicensed securities. This is a. This is actually against the law. Um, And you also shouldn't hawk for the exchanges that are that are doing that. But uh, they're they're the. This is what happens at the end. At the end of the Ponzi life cycle, it gets as big as possible, and you need the biggest celebrities out there. I won't name names. Right. <laughs> but Lindsay Lohan, obviously. Sorry. It's just, right. But but other right. other big celebrities to sell for you. And that's what happened.
12: How much of this do you think, though, was an enforcement problem versus I mean, because you, you just said they are securities, these are you're selling unlicensed securities. Yeah. We have a securities and exchange commission. Yes. Ponzi schemes have been illegal for about a hundred years, give or take. Yep. What's the explanation that you have for why the SEC didn't take action?
15: Uh, well, a couple of reasons. I think one of them is that it's, regulators don't have much incentive to pop a bubble and potentially get blamed for it until it's popped. Once it's popped, you come in, you clean it up, you go, oh, you shouldn't have done that. But the other, the other thing is that we're the only country in the world that I'm aware of that separates its securities regulation from its commodities regulation. We have a CFTC and an SEC. It's created a gray area. We need someone to oversee these agencies, in my opinion. Someone to, to basically, because they're fighting over it, and they're fighting over it. Why? In part, in terms of, in my opinion, the CFTC, in order to get the donations. Well, Sam Bankman-Fried met with the CFTC chair ten times.
10: Ten times, Sam, met with them. Well, Monday is tax day, and I'm going to be investing in crypto because... Of- <laughs> yeah. All right, thank you, CNN. We'll see you next week.
0: And thank you, Bill. You can watch Real Time with Bill Maher on Friday nights on HBO at 10 p.m. and then watch Overtime right here on CNN Friday nights at 11.30. All right, next, our Friday night news quiz. We're ready. Okay, everybody, it's Friday night. And you know what that means. It's news quiz night. Let's see what you at home and my panelists know about this week's news stories. Okay, number one. Now, again, when I count to three, you (laughs) turn over the right answer or whatever answer you believe. Okay, here we go. What act is not considered free speech in California? Is it A, using AI to mimic the voice of a public figure, B, holding up a sign on the highway, or C, honking your horn at a rally? In one, two, three... It's C. You guys all got it wrong. <laughs> you can't honk your horn anymore in California unless it is because you're in imminent danger in your car. Wow. You can't just be like, honk, 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 wow. you know, as you drive by like a rally. <laughs> they do have bad traffic. Incredible. So maybe... <laughs> wow, I like this. We're, we're Misery drinking. loves company. Oh, yes, exactly. All wrong. Okay, <laughs> let's try it again. Okay, here we go. The Dalai Lama apologized this week for doing what? A, criticizing President Xi's visit to Russia, B, asking a young boy to suck his tongue, or C, skipping evening prayer. One, two, three. Nope, Joey. No, it's asking a young boy to suck his tongue. Did he do that? Yes, yeah. on video. <laughs> Did, Did he do that on a
11: video? <laughs>
0: it's hard to believe, but yes. That's crazy. <laughs> That's the one he was never gonna fail. I, like, I missed that. Right. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. This is working. Next, um, a VHS tape of which movie sold this week for twenty-seven thousand five hundred dollars? Is it? a fantasia b the rocky horror picture show or c rocky in one two three turn over your paddles it's c rocky Joe, you're doing really dun, well. So I like dun, you. Those Fantasia, Missy, that's very cute. I thought so. That is very cute. Okay, so Joe and Jessica got it right, or you got it right? No, I. Listen, this will now? be the only <laughs> question <laughs> I get right tonight. Okay, all right, it, so I want full credit. I gave you credit. Okay, <laughs> here we go. What dirty job czar did New York City hire this week? Is it A. Rat czar, B. Garbage czar, or C. Sewer czar? in one, two, three. Oh, you all knew that. You all knew rats are. Oh yeah. I'm yeah. oh, looking if for. If you're it? in yeah. the city, <laughs> you, you know. You, you know keep the your rats. eye on rats are. Yeah, rats are. Ratatouille. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs>
8: the rats don't run this city. That's this is so not great. Ratatouille. Um, as the mayor would say. <laughs> so and listen, I hope the czar is working tonight. What do you
2: think?
0: Yeah. We step-, oh, so. <laughs> step outside late night. Yeah. On the first I
11: like I it. Would, one I would of the simply
2: ask for a crime czar, but you know, maybe I'm old-fashioned.
0: No, no, rats are rats are a big problem. I like that one of the job descriptions was you to be bloodthirsty. Okay, at last, uh, two million dimes worth what? Were stolen... From a Philadelphia truck, is it A two hundred thousand dollars? Is it B twenty thousand dollars? Or is it C two thousand dollars? Okay, Do this I, is I, a math question. I, mean, I was told is this today, a math yeah, question. Is, this question dimes? Dimes? I'm, 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 is this a trick question?
8: I know about dropping dimes. I know. I mean, are I'm they still, like good. are they vintage
0: dimes? No. Okay, we're doing this. A two hundred thousand. <laughs> B <laughs> twenty thousand. C. But how many and dimes again? Two million, two million. Two million dimes. Yeah. Okay. okay. One, two, three. Go. Okay, it was A. I mean, I'm sorry, guys. I promised there would be no math. Joey, you lose. Okay, uh, we'll be right back. But winner, Joe, pinion one. my point. Well done, Joe. Well done. we will be right back with a CNN hero. Well done, Joe. Oh my goodness. The state of California has the highest rate of homelessness in the country. This week's CNN hero has made it his mission to offer free veterinary care to pets living on the streets of California. Meet Dr. Quan Stewart.
16: I've seen people give up their last meal for their pet, and people who have $3 for their name, and after I'm done with the treatment, they will try and give me that $3. This is your partner, obviously, huh? This is my best friend. They see me with my stethoscope in my bag. Yeah, uh, yeah, you look good. This little dog was days away from dying. And then they start sharing stories about their dog and the history.
14: He makes me feel good. And
7: he loves me, <laughs> and I know he loves me.
16: I can treat about 80% of the cases I see out of a really small bag.
7: Oh, you do vaccines too? Oh, that's really cool.
16: It's antibiotics, it's anti-inflammatories, flea and tick, heartworm prevention. It's all there. It's at no cost to them, it's free. I'm building a network. Of trusted volunteers, technicians, but hospitals and clinics we can go to, we can call on. Let me take a listen here. It doesn't matter what your situation is or what your background or past is. I see a pet in need, and I see a person who cares for them dearly, who just needs some help.
0: To see more of Dr. Stewart's story, you can go to CNNHeroes.com. Thanks so much for watching tonight. Have a great weekend. Our coverage continues.
15: JD Power ranks sleep number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in store. And now save 50% on Sleep Number Limited Edition smart beds for a limited time. For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/slash awards. Only at Sleep Number Stores or Sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life Podcast. In honor of our tenth season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470 396 0832